I'm trained as an anthropologist. Okay? And what anthropologists do is they kind of stand back and they look at society and they look for patterns. When you're inside an industry and you've built a great piece of technology, it's really hard to think that your technology might not solve all of the associated problems. It's, it's very easy. I think this is true for everybody. I think it's very easy to lose sight of the people in the world that your, your technology might not solve their problem. Because they're not in your sphere of influence, it's easy to not see them. That's just human nature. I continue to believe that non-expert innovation is, is crucial, especially for really wicked problems, because we have to learn how to see things differently if we're going to solve things differently. That's Beth Kolko, CEO of medical device maker Shift Labs. And from GeekWire in Seattle, this is Health Tech. I'm reporter James Thorne. Coming up, one entrepreneur's unusual quest to solve a very specific problem in healthcare and the challenges and surprises she encountered along the way. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross, providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately 2 million people, from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at primera.com slash innovation. Today, we'll be talking with Beth Kalko, CEO of Shift Labs. It's a medical device startup based in Seattle. Beth is also a professor of human-centered design and engineering at the University of Washington. Beth recently won the Perseverance Award from Seattle Health Innovators for overcoming obstacles she faced while creating the Drip Assist, a monitor for IV infusions. Her journey was filled with many ups and downs, but Drip Assist is being used all around the world as a low-cost way to measure medications given through IV infusions, all without the use of expensive machines or special expertise. She'll tell us how she brought an outsider's view to the medical device industry and used that to make healthcare cheaper and more accessible. One of the most important things to know about Beth is that she has a very unconventional background for a health tech entrepreneur. So I got a PhD in literature in the 90s, and I studied the earliest days of the internet. And I thought, well, this is great. And I could either continue to write critiques about what's wrong with technology for the rest of my career, or I could help build better stuff. And I thought to myself, I actually really want to just help build better stuff. And it turns out engineers build things. So I stopped being an English professor. I got a job here at the University of Washington, and the, and the department is now known as Human-Centered Design and Engineering. So that was back in 2000. And then I started doing a bunch of work in the developing world and building all kinds of prototypes for people thinking about what kinds of technologies could you create that would solve the problems of everyday life, particularly in poorer communities. By then, she had totally changed the focus of her career, and she was being driven by an idea, something she thought the health industry was just missing. I was really interested in how the design of technologies either invited certain people in or excluded people. So how did design really affect technology usage? And then at one point, I started working on an ultrasound project with people in radiology. And we were working on a really simplified ultrasound platform. So this was before there was handheld ultrasound. And we came up with a way to really simplify design and make ultrasound accessible for midwives in Uganda. The last trip that I made to East Africa with this project, we went to Kenya. We went to a rural health clinic. And we just handed the system to midwives. 
And within 10 minutes, like literally within 10 minutes, they'd taken the shirt off of, uh, we had one male team member, they'd taken his shirt off and they were scanning him <laughs> and they could identify his internal organs with no training. And that's how much we'd simplified it. That with basic knowledge of anatomy, they could do ultrasound. It was really gratifying. They had a device and it worked, but the hard part was getting people in the industry on board with the idea. We met with all the major ultrasound companies and we said, okay, we know you care about these markets and here's something that works. Take it. And everyone said, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. I mean, over and over again. And finally, there was a VP uh, at one company. He took me aside and he said, well, you know, we could make cheaper technology, but it wouldn't support the cost of our sales force. So we have no motivation to do that. At that point, I thought, well, okay, there's got to be a better way to do things. And that was the day that I decided I was going to start a company. Mm. And eventually, that resulted in Shift Labs. So Shift Labs actually started with this goal of health equity, not with a particular technology or even a certain clinical problem. We just said, okay, let's bring together a team of people and figure out what kinds of really intractable problems there are for healthcare providers around the world, and let's build tools to help them. That's the philosophy that ultimately led them to develop the Drip Assist. It's a handheld device, a little larger and thicker than a smartphone, that attaches to the IV drips that are commonplace in hospitals. The Drip Assist monitors those drips of liquid medication that are delivered to the patient. Beth and her team identified a problem and came up with the solution in an unconventional way. A traditional approach would be you take a medical device and then you strip out a bunch of features and then you have your kind of what's known as a value offering and that's what you sell into an emerging market. That's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to start from the ground and say, what's the right problem? And now let's build something that solves it. Like starting without a technology might seem like a terrible idea, but we never would have come up with the products that we have if we hadn't done that. So we essentially did a bunch of interviews. I sat down, I talked to clinicians who worked around the world and there were about six things that everyone struggled with. And I said, okay, which of these could we solve cheaply today? The area of infusion was mm. the one that had the biggest market. And so that's how we decided to start solving the problem of administering infusions around the world. It turned out that there was a big problem with the way most infusions around the world were being delivered. Imagine you're visiting someone in the hospital and there's um, like a pole by their bed and there's a bag of fluid hanging and then there's a needle that goes into their arm. If you're in a hospital here in Seattle, odds are there is a pump, what's known as an infusion pump, large volume pump, that is attached to that pole and the tubing from that bag runs through that pump and the pump then pushes the fluid and the medication into your vein at some prescribed rate. Well, it turns out in most places in the world, people give infusions without a pump. Pumps are great pieces of technology, but they don't work everywhere. They need electricity. They need regular maintenance and calibration. So you have to have really good supply chains. You probably need a biomedical department on site. If you don't get them calibrated, then they're not delivering the right amount of medications. So if you don't have a pump, this is how you're going to give the drug. Mm. Ready? I hope you're good at math. So you're going to hang that bag, and there's a little pinch clamp. You're going to open that pinch clamp, and then you're going to Look at the drops as they fall from the bag into this little chamber, and you're going to count how many drops fall every 60 seconds. And then you're going to do math. But wait, the math that you're going to do is going to be one of four equations because there's four sizes of needles that are made in the world. So it's virtually impossible to get an accurate dosage rate out of what's known as a gravity infusion. The infusion pumps Beth just mentioned are really expensive, like five grand each. 
so that's been a big barrier to their adoption. Beth saw an opening for a smarter and cheaper solution, and the market for gravity infusions is huge. It's a really big world. And in India and China, most infusions, like 90 to 95, maybe even 99% of infusions are all done via gravity. Mm. Sub-Saharan Africa, virtually all of them. So every year, there are about 4 billion infusions that are done via gravity. But there isn't any solution really that makes that gravity infusion, those 4 billion gravity infusions, more accurate, more efficient, easier for the clinician, less stressful for the patient. And the problem was counting those drops accurately. Actually, gravity's fine. You know, gravity works. Look around, drop an apple. (laughs) Asking humans to do math is a terrible idea. So we thought to ourselves, we don't actually need to control the flow of the fluid because gravity can do that. What we really need is to provide monitoring. And so we said, let's build a monitor for gravity infusion. This was the seed that would become the drip assist, which Beth and her team built to solve this problem with gravity infusions. After the break, We'll hear how Shift Labs cracked the code of gravity infusions and, after some trial and error, found a marketplace for their device. Plus, Beth will share her thoughts on why non-experts are vital to innovation. That's coming up next on Health Tech. This GeekWire podcast is brought to you by Primera Blue Cross. I have a particular quote uh, that I like to say. I work in healthcare during the day, and then I go home to the 21st century. That's Torben Nielsen, Primera's Vice President of Innovation and Strategic Investments. And I think that just really exemplifies, uh, you know, the healthcare is way behind, right? We are probably the only industry that still subsidizes fax machine manufacturers. No other industry actually uses faxes. It's very hard for a health plan to be taking risk because if you think about it, health plans is all about mitigating risk. And so it really requires a very conscious effort and great support from uh, executives to launch uh, initiatives that actually are taking risk and where you may not know where you end up. There's a lot of unknowns as you innovate and having that support at Primera has just been uh, key to us and what we're trying to do. Learn more about technology and innovation at Primera Blue Cross at primera.com innovation. That's P-R-E-M-E-R-A dot com slash innovation. Before the break, we were talking about how Beth and her team started working on Shift Lab's flagship product, the Drip Assist, which works in a novel way. The Drip Assist is a monitoring device. It uses infrared to detect drops, and then it has firmware, which processes the drop detection data and turns it into human-usable data regarding a flow rate, drop rate, and the volume that's been infused. Beth and her team took an approach that was out of the ordinary. Remember, I'm a professor of human-centered design and engineering. Everything I do is all about being human-centered. So we tested and we retested, and every time you know, we grabbed clinicians who were in town for global health at UW or they were here for the foundation, or, or that's where the network turned out to be so, so important. And there were all kinds of things about those early prototypes that didn't work, that really needed to be refined. Detecting drops is easy. That's the trivial part of the solution. But then you need to process the data because it's really variable. In our early versions, our early prototypes users didn't trust the data because there was so much fluctuation in the numbers. The device had the right data, but people just didn't believe it. It's so disturbing for people to see that variability. So we had to find a way to massage the data and to process that data that would allow us to maintain the accuracy levels that we needed, but also have data that people trusted. And that's where 
having a human-centered product design perspective was really important because when we did all this testing with users, we looked at their faces. We looked at their stress levels. It was all about the human response to how we were solving the problem. And then we said, okay, well, we, we have to find a way to somehow kind of hold on to the data long enough and process it before we show a number on the screen. There was a problem. They found a solution, but there were more setbacks to come. Someone once told me that health is where great entrepreneurs go to die. I think the biggest setback that we faced is, you know, we started with this idea of what do people need? Tell us what you need. And then a bunch of clinicians said, we really need this thing to help us give medication. We said, okay, let's build you a thing. And then we would go and we would talk to infusion executives and they would say, no one is ever going to use this. There was just sort of felt like a dead end. And I had a bunch of friends who had built companies and they all said, oh, you should shut it down. I was like, ah, but I got these nurses and they say they really want it. I don't, I don't want to walk away yet. And then towards the end of 2014, we were running out of money. And we were working out of an office in Smith Tower that a friend who had a company gave us. Honestly, it was their supply closet. And we said, well, let's apply to Y Combinator. We were one of the very first medical device companies to go through YC. So they went through Y Combinator. Later on, they raised some money, $1.7 million, which isn't much for a medical device company, especially when you consider that the Drip Assist is FDA approved. Everybody hates fundraising. I'm really skeptical of anyone who says, I love fundraising. I've been fundraising off and on for years now. And it was literally two months ago that someone gave me the best piece of advice. So I would say keep asking for advice. It was a great piece of insight about the way that I was pitching. And it was another entrepreneur. And he said, no, 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 you're telling the wrong story. You need to be telling the story this way. It was like three sentences, and it completely shifted the way I saw the world. Amazing. So yeah, it's hard for everybody I don't think it ever gets easier, and it's always worth continuing to ask for advice. But Beth didn't go through this whole process alone. By her side was her co-founder, Koji Intelkoffer, who also came from outside the industry. I went to a bunch of networking events in Seattle for months. I said, you know, I'm looking for a mechanical engineer. So I was at some random event, and someone said, oh, I know this guy, and he had just shut down his previous startup, moved back to Seattle, and he was looking for something. One of the best things about our company is that my co-founder and I didn't come from medical devices. He had spent a couple years at Philips, but we really approached this as outsiders. So Koji's a cancer survivor, and so he'd gotten a lot of infusions in his life. Uh, And so the problem space was really interesting to him. He's very passionate about healthcare equity. He sees what his healthcare bills are for the rest of his life. So we started working together. One day I just turned to him and I said, hey, do you want to be a co-founder? And he said, okay. And that was that. So yeah, that was almost five years ago now. There's no way that I could have persevered without my co-founder and without our team. Fast forward to today, and there are thousands of drip assists out in the world. Thousands. And the home infusion market in the U.S. has been really excited about our product because it saves their bottom line a tremendous amount of money. We don't really have a sales force. All of our sales, it's essentially viral adoption doesn't really happen with medical devices. Actually, one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, we have all these customers in home infusion in the U.S., like the second largest home infusion company in the U.S., but we're also selling to NIH and WHO for the Ebola epidemic in DRC right now. Like, we built one very simple device, just cost a few hundred dollars, and it works flawlessly in both those environments. Like, that's amazing. We're really proud of that. And I believe we could only do that because we came from the outside. And we knew we knew nothing. 
So we had to listen. Like we were forced to listen. And so sometimes being that sort of non-expert can be a superpower. When Beth wakes up and looks at herself in the mirror, she sees both an academic and an entrepreneur. I love both those jobs. I love both those roles. I think that before I started Shift Labs, I was a very entrepreneurially minded academic. And I think as a CEO, I'm an intellectually minded entrepreneur. I, that's actually the, the strengths that I bring to both environments is the ability to think with both kinds of hats on. That's an insight that she passes along to her students. I would definitely tell students to not stay in their lane. Often when we get older, we stop being curious and learning new things. It both impoverishes our own lives, but also it limits our ability to contribute to the world around us. Everything that we've built internally has all been built with a design focus. That comes from that liberal arts background. I continue to believe that non-expert innovation is, is crucial, especially for really wicked problems, because we have to learn how to see things differently if we're going to solve things differently. There are lots of other things that Beth thinks need a human-centered makeover. The technology that we use every day that is not human-centered at all uh, has to do with most technology platforms and the way that they harvest our data. And there's no transparency about what data is being collected and who's using it and who it's getting sold to. I think that's one of the most pernicious problems that we face as a society. It's really hard for me to not be frustrated about that on a daily basis. And finally, we asked Beth to imagine someone gave her a big bag of cash tomorrow to go after new problems. What would they be? There's a pretty long list of other kinds of devices that could be developed for healthcare environments that are not hospitals. And one of the things that's really interesting about U.S. healthcare is once you move a procedure outside of a hospital, it becomes exponentially cheaper. There's so much opportunity for things that you can create for those spaces. Beth Kalko is CEO of Shift Labs, a medical device startup based in Seattle. She's also a professor of human-centered design and engineering at the University of Washington. Learn more about the company at shiftlabs.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Tech. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app or tell a friend or colleague about the show. See more episodes at geekwire.com slash healthtech and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. This episode of Health Tech was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Thanks to our sponsor of Health Tech Season 3, Primera Blue Cross. You can find out more about their work at primera.com slash innovation. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to geekwire.com and sign up for our podcast newsletter to hear all of our shows. I'm reporter James Thorne. Thanks for listening to Health Tech.